From the newsrooms of the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, this is Please Explain. I'm Samantha Selinger-Morris. It's Wednesday, December 20th. Back in April, the Democrats officially chose Joe Biden to run for the American presidency next year because he could beat Donald Trump. But that was then. Since then, Biden's approval has begun to tank, and voters of all stripes have reportedly been clutching their foreheads in despair. These are the candidates? An 81-year-old and a would-be criminal with a fondness for quoting Hitler? Bruce Walby, who served on the Democratic staff in the U.S. Congress during President Barack Obama's first term, has been analyzing American presidential elections for decades. Today, Bruce, who's also a senior fellow at the United States Studies Center, joins me to discuss what history can tell us about who might win. So, Bruce, you have just written that many people across the United States and Australia can't understand how we have Biden or Trump as the top presidential candidates when the majority of voters don't actually want them. But yet here we are looking at a Biden-Trump rematch next year. So can you tell me what is the feeling on the ground among voters? Voters are concerned about the future of the country. It's too divided. It's more divided than almost any time that we can remember since the Civil War. It's entrenched. No one is bringing the country together. And then they're looking at a replay of 2020, and they're saying, we're supposed to be the greatest democracy in the world. This is what we get, a replay. 2024, we're going to get a rematch of the match we never wanted. Biden, 81, Trump, twice impeached, disgraced, a man with a horrible record. There are 330 million Americans, and somehow we keep landing on the same tube. And whenever I, wherever I go here in Australia, the conversation turns to U.S. politics. People come up to me and say, this is it? This is the best they can do? Trump versus Biden? How? Why? The stakes in this election could not be higher. Next November, you have a choice between war, poverty, and weakness under crooked Joe Biden, or peace, prosperity, and strength under President Donald J. Trump. Just three years ago... Our- That's why I'm running for re-election, because I know America. I know we're good and decent people. I know we're still a country that believes in honesty and respect and treating each other with dignity. Okay, so I want to get into Joe Biden's prospects first. He is suffering a major drop in approval ratings at the moment. So why is that? What are some of the challenges that he's currently facing? He has two challenges, age that is the biggest headwind on him. If he if there wasn't an age issue, I think his approval ratings would be much higher. They're now below 40%. New polls show just how challenging 2024 will be, Ron, for President Biden. His approval ratings down to just 40%. And you cannot win re-election from 40% or below. Obama was down there. He came back. Uh, Trump never cracked 50% as president, doesn't have a 50% approval rating since he left office. Uh, So people are worried about his age, is Biden up to it? And in the back of your head, you're looking at a man who looks old, walks old, talks old. Is he too old? And does he have all his marbles? And then there's the economy. And it's not dissimilar to what we have here. High inflation, high interest rates. 89% of Americans feel very concerned about inflation and fueling calls. The macro numbers are fine. Uh, their GDP is higher than the unemployment rate. It's really good. But prices are up significantly from three years ago. Cost of living pressures, the big squeeze. We know that here. Albanese's approval has taken a hit. Biden's approval has taken a big hit. So those two issues together mean that Biden is not as strong as he was when he defeated Donald Trump in 2020. 
Okay, and then, of course, there's the elephant in the room, which is the impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden that the American House of Representatives voted on just last week. They formally opened an impeachment inquiry. So just how bad is that? Or perhaps it's not. I mean, what sort of impact would that have on Joe Biden's chances? I don't think it's going to have a significant impact because to date, and we'll have to see, nothing has been even closely uh, presented that would be proven corruption inside by, by the president. Republicans allege President Biden may have benefited from his family's foreign business dealings. Uh, his son, obviously very troubled, a lot of questionable business deals. Fine. He should be fully accountable under the law. Did it leach into the Biden checkbook? No one's shown it, but the Republicans really want to nail him. So far, the year-long House GOP investigation into the Bidens has not led to any direct evidence of wrongdoing by the president. I think there's a chance it could backfire because it looks so raw, ugly and political. And the other question is that the Republicans have control of the House by three votes. Biden carried 18 of those seats when they won their election in 2022. In other words, will moderate Republicans say this is too scary to touch? And in fact, they won't get an impeachment resolution up. But I think the House Republicans are determined and they're going to bring it up in January or February. Okay, and of course, you mentioned just before Joe Biden's age, he's 81. So there's been a lot of criticisms, you know, people sort of worried, I guess, is he fit to be president at this age? So if some illness were to strike, something else would happen to him because of his age, who would the Democrats likely choose to put forward? Well, a lot of hypotheticals here, but the question is, what what would happen if he, you remember Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican leader, he froze twice in a news conference for 15, 20 seconds heard a question, was unable to speak, finally, it's generally okay. If that happened to the president, any president, people would say, you have a serious medical problem. Uh, Should you resign? Should you step down? If he decides he's unable to stay on as president, of course, the vice president, Kamala Harris, becomes president. But what it would essentially do is open the Democratic nominating process to a whole bunch of candidates who might get in. You think of Gavin Newsom, governor of California. You think of Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, and of course, the vice president. But we haven't seen this movie before. No no president has really taken themselves out so late in the process. So it's the question of how orderly it can be remains to be determined. But at the end of the day, it, whether it's at the Democratic convention in Chicago in August, that Democrats would get together and figure out, okay, who should be our nominee? After the break, we discuss the biggest threat facing Joe Biden's presidency, the leading Republican nominee, Donald Trump. Bruce, I wanted to now ask you about Donald Trump. He's got a fiercely devout, loyal voter base, despite the fact that he's been criminally indicted on four separate accounts. I mean, it really boggles the mind. So would it take Trump to actually be convicted of a felony to be ejected from this race? And what charges is he currently still facing? The two big cases to watch are, was he criminally involved in in the insurrection of uh, January 6th, which was an attempt to overturn the election in November? That trial is in Washington, scheduled for March. But Trump also, he wants to delay all these trials until after the election. And the second is the classified documents case, where he took documents from the White House. He shouldn't have done that. (laughs) And it's really a pretty clear violation of law. I think that's a really open and shut case. So those are the two big trials to watch. If he is convicted of a felony, there will be a lot of pressure on the Republican Party to say this man can't stay on the ballot. He can't stay and run. But let's let's just back up for one second. Why is he in such a powerful position? He uses the indictments as a first he has a, a legal political argument and then an emotional argument. The legal political argument is 
What they're doing is trying to drive me from the race. The Democratic president has instructed the Democratic attorney general and the whole Justice Department to indict me. That would throw me off the ballot. It's the biggest case of election interference and vote rigging in American history. And I'm not going to stand for it. And you're not going to stand for it. And then he says on an emotional level, when they indict me, they indict you. I'm being indicted. You have to remember this. And I believe it's true. I'm being indicted for you. And what that means is I am the only person who can protect you from those people and that you will have no defenses whatsoever. And so therefore, stick with me and we will prevail. And that is why he is in such a strong position. Never forget our enemies want to take away my freedom because I will never let them take away your freedom. This is an honor. To be if you look at his rallies and you look at the crowd behind him, he makes these cases and everyone is just wrapped. You know, I do enjoy this. I shouldn't enjoy it. Who the hell gets indicted four times and has a good time? So he's not rusted on to the Republicans across the country. He is welded on. And it is very potent, very cunning, very effective. Okay, that's very interesting how you've spoken about how, you know, the things that might on the surface look like they'd be bad for him. For like, any other be, human mortal, exactly. they would, you would be dead dead. Exactly. Which I guess brings me to my next question, because just over the weekend, Trump made a speech and he said that undocumented immigrants were, quote, poisoning the blood of our country, unquote. They're poisoning the blood of our country. That's what they've done. They poison. And that was repeating language that has previously drawn criticism as xenophobic and echoing Nazi rhetoric. So I'm wondering, I mean, on the face of it, that, of course, sounds horrible, like that could never help you. So I'm just wondering, is this likely to turn more Republicans away from him? Or is this really just more of what they're used to hearing from Trump and perhaps what they want to hear? For the base that he has, they want to hear it, and they're amped up. And, and it's like 40 percent of Republican voters. Given the unprecedented millions of Biden illegal aliens who are invading our country, it is only common sense that when I'm reelected, we will begin, and we have no choice, the largest deportation operation in American history. He said he wants to pardon everyone who uh, participated in the January 6th insurrection. He stood by the Proud Boys who stood by him when Nazis marched in Charlottesville. And he does that because he knows that they will turn out and vote. So even though he never cracked 50 percent, if all that 40 percent votes and if enthusiasm for Biden continues to decline, particularly among younger voters, if Biden loses any of his margin and Trump has all of his and it, because it's not just the national popular vote, it's the Electoral College. And if you carry the, enough key states, you win. Trump is still in a strong position. OK. And I did want to ask you, though, about, you know, you're saying that Trump's really loyal fan base. This is what they want to hear from him. But there is some suggestion that some Republican voters are now saying, actually, they want a president with maybe the same hardline views, but with perhaps less chaos, perhaps with less hateful rhetoric. And chief among those is Nikki Haley. She sort of exemplifies that within the Republican, you know, yes. potential nominees. I think we need to be talking about what we're going to do about inflation and the border and national security. I think that the media spends way too much time talking about Donald Trump. And I think we need to talk about the fact that we need a new generational leader. We need someone who... So can you tell me about Nikki Haley and just how much of a threat she poses to Trump? I mean, can she win this thing? I don't think she can win this thing because, again, she's attacking Trump, attacking his voters. I don't think they will cross over to support her. She was governor of South Carolina, Indian-American, 
after 2016, when Trump won, he appointed her ambassador to the United Nations. So she got some foreign policy gravitas, which is always good to have in a president. She's a woman. She's very well presented. She is very articulate. Uh, her mind is nimble. And she's sort of, I don't want to sound like a wine connoisseur or anything, but it's sort of, it's a Ronald Reagan agenda with Trumpist notes. And, <laughs> and it's a blend of... If, if you look at the trajectory of the Republican, you had Ronald Reagan and now you have Trump. It, she bridges that and that makes it acceptable to a lot of people. But I don't think she will be the nominee and it's sort of theoretical. The other person was Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, and he was to be uh, the, the Trump killer who, without the baggage. But he is such a, he's been so terrible on the campaign trail. He's so unappealing. He talks like a robot on with all the uh, anti-woke uh, agenda that he has. He's a machine gun. And so he's kind of plummeting in support. Okay. And so, Bruce, to wrap up, we are still a long way out from the election. It's not until November next year. Are there any key moments we should look out for in the coming months that may give us some indication of, you know, where the political winds are blowing and who might actually end up serving as the 47th president of the United States? <laughs> Biden is waiting for interest rates to be cut, just like we're waiting here in Australia. And that will lift his performance economically. His forte is uh, foreign policy as well as his domestic agenda. But on foreign policy, even if you succeed, it's no guarantee of winning an election. George H.W. Bush, victor, conqueror of uh, Iraq in the first Gulf War. He was at 90 percent after that. He lost to Bill Clinton 18 months later. So all, all that Biden is doing on foreign policy doesn't necessarily guarantee him anything. But if, the, if, the, if Biden can project a sense of normalcy and confidence in the future, he could enhance his standing. Elections are essentially about the future. And you want hope and you want a sense of leadership and you want, think of John F. Kennedy, ask not what your country can do for you. Remember how you felt when Obama was running in 2008? Hope and change. Hello, Chicago. So people look for optimism in the future. Can Biden really project that? I'm not sure. Trump projects fear and loathing, but he thinks that enough Americans are so scared of what he is identifying as things that he wants to take care of, and he doesn't give a damn about the Constitution that might stop him from doing it, they'll say, go ahead, we'll send you to Washington, kick over the tables, change the place, deliver for us the underserved for a generation from trade deals and Congress running amok and elites in the country. That's what uh, Trump voters want. So there are more headwinds coming against Biden. The Trump headwinds are known but notwithstanding those, he's not losing any votes among his supporters. It's a jump ball right now as to where it's going to go. We can't tell. We're so lucky, Bruce, to have your insights. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Sam, very much. Today's episode of Please Explain was produced by Julia Carcatzel with technical assistance by Chi Wong. Our executive producer is Ruby Schwartz. Please Explain is a production of The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. If you enjoy the show and want more of our journalism, subscribe to our newspapers today. It's the best way to support what we do. Search The Age or smh.com.au forward slash subscribe. I'm Samantha Selinger-Morris. This is Please Explain. Thanks for listening.